radio.org.au. Q&A with Archbishop Julian Porteous. Welcome to this episode of Q&A with Archbishop Julian Porteous. I'm Alex. And I'm Jess. There is a debate currently going on in the United States over the Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare. This is a health care law which, among other things, requires Catholic employers to provide health care coverage to their employees, which includes access to abortion and contraception. Your Grace, how do you think that Catholics should respond to legislation like this, which fundamentally challenges their faith? This uh, particular issue, what's often called uh, Obamacare, the, the program of health care introduced by President Obama, has really raised uh, a lot of issues for the church. It's really been a bit of a, a, a cause of crisis. The, the, the bishops themselves have spoken very firmly to say that uh, the legislation is requiring the uh, church organisations to go against conscientiously held beliefs, particularly about the nature of life and sexuality. And, uh, and, and so there has been strong resistance, um, quite united resistance from the bishops with regard to, uh, to this legislation. However, despite the protests of the bishops and, and very strong representations made against this legislation, uh, President Obama has continued down this track and has uh, has, has put this into law. And, and so there's been a crisis for the church. What do you do? There, there are all sorts of um, sanctions if a particular organisation does not uh, establish these healthcare uh, facilities and help provide the healthcare cover that they're, they're bound to by the legislation. But in doing so, they are, they are providing health cover for their employees in areas where, where as Catholics, we believe we should not do it because we are cooperating with something which we would say is morally wrong. Uh, so th- the first thing that is, apart from the protests uh, by church authorities, many organisations now have, have felt that the, the only option open to them is to appeal uh, to in the courts. And, and so there are quite a few cases that are now being put to the, to the courts. The question is, how do you actually go about presenting your case? And this is something I think uh, is well worth thinking about. You know, we live in a society, a sort of contemporary society talks a great deal about toleration. So would, would the best thing be to uh, argue for, in the courts to say, look, there should be, we should be more tolerant and, uh, and really uh, uh, just allow... Uh, the Catholic Church to do what they believe while people do what they believe. That's, um, I think that's a very difficult argument to, to maintain because we're really seeking, if you like, the indulgence of the courts, the indulgence of the government to say, well, why don't you just be nice to us kind of thing. It, it, it doesn't really deal with the issues per se and also it's something which is too, uh, I think, too weak to be able to be maintained uh, over time. The, the other thing would be to say, well, could we just appeal very strongly for exemptions to be granted to Catholic organisations because Catholic organisations um, 
have certain conscientiously held beliefs on these matters, and therefore we ask, uh, because of our conscientiously, conscientiously held beliefs, could an exemption be granted to Catholic organisations? And that's probably the main way in which the cases are being mounted. Uh, however, this, this issue is, is always a, going to be a problem for us because we could be granted an exemption by one particular court or one particular government, but a change of um, personnel in the court, a change of government can mean that uh, the exemptions are removed. So we're very, it's a very fragile uh, situation to be in. We're very vulnerable um, to say, look, and also we're on the back foot. We're kind of being seen as requiring exemptions. We're seen as somehow difficult and so let's, let's pander to to our particular stance on things. But there's always this sense that, look, you are really the exception. You're not, you're not the rule. This is really the way things should be done, but we're just uh, ex accepting a distinction for you in this particular matter. I, I think <clears throat> going down this track, which is often seen as the only track open to us, um, is full of a lot of difficulty. And I think there's some fundamental principles that are um, uh, are being threatened by by such an approach. I suppose there's a couple of other ways of looking at it. Um, certainly, one one way that I I think has perhaps a bit more merit is to say that, and certainly in the United States, there is there is the freedom of religion is enshrined in the Constitution. It's a very strong element in the Constitution, and and I think you can claim. Um, that this is a right. Um, in fact, the, the, the founding fathers of the American Constitution understood, particularly in the circumstances of the formation of the United States, where there were a number of religious groups who took refuge in the United States because of persecution they experienced in Europe. So there was a sense of, let us respect the rights of people to religious freedom. So that is an element certainly that's strong in the United States Constitution. It exists in our own Constitution, um, but there could be another way in which uh, the argument before that, that there is a right to be able to live by one's religion and governments can't impose things that are denying that fundamental right to religious freedom. So I think that's, I think that's a good argument. I think it's a strong, a strong argument. Uh, but I think um, we do need to uh, to reflect more about this question. It's going to come up in Australia, where, where there are will be threats. We've seen them already, whereby our own beliefs, our, our own practice, our way of life, our own moral standards are being challenged, and, and we're being asked to um, to accept the fact that we must forego things that we, we believe. So I think this needs a great deal more thought. Well, in light, Your Grace, of the challenging situations that we face here, but also obviously um, in light of what's happening in America, what do you believe is the way forward? I think one of the issues that, that perhaps we haven't um, reflected upon enough is, is the whole question of truth. One of the difficulties, if we talk about the fact we have beliefs, 
then it in a way tends to relativize the argument. In other words, I have my beliefs as a Catholic, you have your beliefs as a as a Buddhist or you know, somebody else has their beliefs that a secularist would have very clear beliefs on certain things. So so it sort of puts uh, our own beliefs on the same level as other people's beliefs. So it does create a sense of uh, a certain relativism, you know, that, that we have to just tolerate one another's beliefs and, and live with the fact that people have different opinions than ourselves. And there's a certain attraction in doing that because it's a, a way of least resistance, if you like. Um, however, it, it, the question is not, I think, only what we believe, but it's, it's also about the fact that there are fundamental truths about the nature of the human person, the nature of the human life, certain moral precepts that are universal, they're not just related to a particular system of beliefs and so on. So I think in our reflection on this and our discussion of how we respond, I think we've got to go back to this question of of looking at the fact that, that there are fundamental truths at stake here and how can we go about the task of presenting not just our beliefs but actually presenting truths which are by their nature open to human reason. So they're not just things that are contained in a creed or contained in, in the scriptures or something like that but we're saying while we, we receive inspiration from the scriptures, inspiration from the teaching of the church on issues, these are actual truths about the nature of human life. In terms of one possible action uh, Catholics might take, from what I'm hearing, your position on, on, on this issue, Your Grace, might we suggest something akin to civil disobedience is perhaps a good way forward in the sense that rather than uh, claiming exemptions or, or such like that, we might instead simply stand on truth and say as Catholics we're not going to accept this. So Catholic employers simply wouldn't provide those services and then be subject to whatever civil penalties arise. Is that a possible way of addressing or something of the, the approach you're talking talking about? Obviously, it's, it's, it's a high-risk strategy <laughs> because you could end up in jail. But, but it does raise the question of not just asking for exemptions, but saying, look, this is an unjust law. What, what you're proposing here is not just your view against my view. This law, by its very nature, is unjust it, it, because it goes against, say, human life in the case of abortion. And, and so say, so I can't do this. Uh, it's not just a question of exemption to say that, that I need to make an absolute stand on this because this is a fundamental moral precept that doesn't uh, allow for, uh, for various interpretations. You know? and, 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 and I suppose what flows on from this is the fact that you know, it, it's basic church teaching to say that, that no Catholic is... is bound to follow an unjust law. So there's, there's certainly grounds there to say that a Catholic can, can take that stance. As it says, high risk. <laughs> but if there is a, if it's a case of a clear unjust law, 
then certainly we have a whole argument in our own tradition to say that we need to stand against it. Maybe it, this is required to, to, to bring home the fact that this is a question of truth and not just asking for some tolerance of our strange attitudes to human life, for instance. Yeah. This seems to be perhaps something we can learn from the past where people have stood up for truth and being willing to face civil penalties that we don't see so much in, in our day and perhaps might lead to something of a reawakening of a conscience for truth rather than simply uh, the mentality of getting along to go along. Is that something that, that you see that might happen if, if Catholics were to take this approach, maybe of resisting? And I think it can be. We have to go back to the age of martyrs in the church to, to know that often the martyr was asked to do something and often coaxed in all sorts of ways. Look, just... Put a bit of incense in this burner and, uh, to, to, to seize it. Don't, uh, don't worry, it's just a bit of incense. You, know, there's all, all, uh, you can imagine all the sort of arguments saying, look, you're being unreasonable. Look, you just, look, you can still go to your own church, you can do your own things, but just, um, just do this too, because this is now in the law, this is now required. And of course, we have this extraordinary tradition of people saying, no, I will not, because. It, this would be directly offensive to my basic belief that God alone is to be worshipped. Um, so often it becomes very difficult because people can make it so seem, you, you seem to be so unreasonable <laughs> about this. <laughs> Whereas, why did you just go along? Why did you just go on? Don't worry about it. And this is a great challenge. And right now it's a great challenge for us. Do, do we say, oh, look, let's just go along with it because uh, it's too hard to resist. Or do we, do we draw a line and we say no? Uh, so this is, I think, one of the things we're going to have to face more and more as Catholics in the time ahead. Where do we draw the line? Do we, do we say that we, we do take an absolute stance on something because we believe in a fundamental truth? That's involved in it, and so we will not, we we will not weaken, or accommodate, or or sort of water down what we believe because we believe there is a fundamental truth at stake here. In a world that seems to be so unsure that there is any any truths, so it is increasingly secular. How can we understand and explain that there is a body of objective objective moral truths? Yes, and of course, this is something that uh, certainly Pope Benedict spoke about a great deal. He spoke about faith and reason, you know, that they, they, they work, they're not in opposition to each other, but they actually work together, they complement each other. As Catholics, we of course draw on the revelation of Scripture, which inspires us to understand things that, that maybe human minds left to themselves would not grasp or really fully understand. But at the same time, when we were created, God gave us uh, the gift of reason, and that gift of reason has, if you like, always an orientation towards truth. It always is sort of seeking truth. Nobody says, I'm going out to, to learn about error. I'm going to find out how I can be so wrong. Everybody thinks they're right. You know, there's a natural tendency to search for the truth, to search what is right. Um, whether you get it 
write about another story, but but you know, there's a, the, the human reason by its by its very nature, by its God-given capacity, seeks truth, and 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 so even without the aid of faith, human uh, human mind is able to move towards truth. I often think of the the Greek philosophers who who, who thought and reflected and wrote in the era prior to Christianity, no knowledge of revelation. And yet it's amazing how many truths about human nature they were able to identify. And they saw these as fundamental truths, they saw these as fundamental precepts. They didn't get everything right, but they certainly, human reason has a capacity to pursue and identify truth. So. So I think certainly we have to say that that it's not as though we only have truth because we're Catholics. We say any human being can identify fundamental truths. Now, in Catholic theology, in Catholic tradition, what, what we've developed what's called the natural law, which is a way of saying that, that there is, in nature, the way we've been created, certain laws that can be identified. Just as we can say there are laws that govern the universe, that govern um, gravity and uh, the, the whole universe, so there are laws associated with human life, uh, per se. Um, and, and, and so, for instance, Pope uh, St. John Paul II, in his great encyclical uh, Veritatis Splendor, uh, explored this question of the existence of moral precepts which come out of a, a natural law, that natural law is enriched and further uh, able to be developed because of revelation. But there is a there is a natural law uh, in the modern world that's not an idea that's readily acceptable. But I believe this is something that maybe we're going to need to to speak a great deal more about and and seek to assist people in understanding. Yes, it is possible. Not just say, well, that's your truth, this is my truth, but say, no, let's see if we can find what is actually the truth about the human person, about human life, about about certain moral precepts, so that we are not just coming at it from the point of view of our own particular prejudices or backgrounds or philosophical positions, but we're actually able to meet in a place where we identify things that are true because they are true. Your Grace, John, St. John Paul II talked about the importance of moral truth for authentic democracy. Do you think, uh, with the increasing denial of objective truth in our society, uh, the very basis for democracy is undermined? And what kind of threats do you think this is going to pose to continued democracy in the Western world? Do you see this, this denial of truth as really posing a serious danger to to Western democracies falling? I think it does, and I believe that um, democracy as we've known it, as it's developed, has, has grown out of the foundation of, of uh, really a Christian view of life. And, and democracies haven't, haven't been perfect by any means, but, but they've been able to enshrine certain laws which have been quite consistent with a Christian understanding of the nature of the human person. And that is, I think, enabled laws to be sound and, and, and for the good of the society and the good of, of individuals within the society. 
again, not perfectly, because democracies and dealing with politics, all sorts of things are, are imperfect, but generally speaking, we would say that the Western democracies, as we have known them, have been pretty good environments for the, for the promotion of the common good and the promotion of the, of the flourishing of the human person. And uh, the, the question now is, as, as democracies move away from the Christian underpinnings, the, the fundamental moral principles contained in Christianity, as they move now into really a, a very vague kind of way of, of making moral decisions, which are largely based around popular movements. So if, if for instance, uh, ecology or something like that is, and, and you bring in all these laws, you know, particular flavours, particular things that are capturing the public imagination at one time start to shape laws, laws start to float, you know, and, and, uh, and particularly if you have a, a case where there's a, a growing relativism in the society then we've seen laws being enacted which are actually contrary to fundamental truths about human nature and as such threaten the good, you know, the common good, and would, would threaten, I think, ultimately the human the flourishing of human life. So we have to be concerned about this movement and I think it's very important that uh, Christians be involved and, and seek to influence legislation to be based on fundamental moral precepts and not just on popular movements of the day. If I think if civilizations, cultures move too far away from Christianity, from the Christian underpinnings, I really fear as to what may eventually become the culture, become the laws, and we may find quite markedly unjust uh, laws uh, developing. I think a very good illustration of this, uh, it's a simple illustration, is the fact in the last century we saw two cultures developed. One was Nazism, which was godless, and one was communism, which was godless. Both of them enacted terrible laws which were destructive of the common good and destructive of, of the quality of human life. Now what would happen if a we find another secularist, materialist culture develops, well, we, could we not see the emergence of laws which are, are going to be damaging to the common good and damaging to human life? You make an interesting point there in terms of the damage that these uh, godless uh, ideologies uh, have, uh, have done to humanity. Uh, often people think of the wars of religion uh, were bad and a lot of people died, but when you compare uh, what Nazism and Stalinism did to humanity, it, it simply pales into insignificance, the numbers that were killed. Um, and, and, and for you, this seems to be something that we, we can't simply shy away from as a possibility. The loss of Christianity poses a similar threat in the coming, coming eras, coming age. Do you see that really as something we... I, I we do, I, about? I do. I, and I, I think um, that... The we do need as, as Christians to, to, to look more carefully at what is actually happening to the culture. Now, we can get caught up on the Obamacare issue, for instance. It's just an illustration of the way in which 
a, a secularist, a, a relativist uh, mentality can start imposing, denying rights, placing sanctions on people who do not agree, and, and, and forcing people to adopt their particular mentality. And this not that far from what Hitler set out to do, what Stalin was doing. I mean, you know, it's a smaller degree, but um, it does show that, uh, that there is a potential for things to develop in a way that is going to be quite damaging for society. So I think our first task is to be able to look more carefully at what's happening and, and understand uh, the issues that are underpinning some of these debates that are taking place at the present moment and and start to see what, what can we do, how can we influence society, not just because we want to push our own particular view on the people, but because we say this is a way to ensure that the, the, the culture, our civilization, will be best able to be maintained and, and where democracy will, will be able to flourish are best for the good of the, the people. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Q&A with Archbishop Julian Porteous. We look forward to joining you next time. You've been listening to Q&A with Archbishop Julian Porteous. For more episodes or to submit your questions for the Archbishop, visit cradio.org.au.